0: would you pray with me? Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight. You are truly our blessed rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, a well-meaning person uh, made an appointment to come see me in my office, uh, sat down, chit-chatted for a minute, and she got to the point. She said, Pastor, I know that you are the president of the ministerial alliance in town. I said, yes, And she said, I I have a grave concern I want to bring to you this morning and I hope that you'll share it with the other ministers in town and we can do something about it. She then proceeded to tell me that she was aware that the school, the high school in this small town, had placed cat litter boxes in the locker rooms because they were students who identified as cats, who dressed up like cats, who talked like cats, and who wanted to use the litter boxes like cats would use their litter boxes uh, when they needed to go to the restroom. And, and she was telling me this as if it was factual in the community in which we were living at the time. And after I had listened to her for a few minutes, I, I, I stopped her and I said, well, the best thing that we could do would be to call the school superintendent and talk to him. I knew the school superintendent. I, I managed to get him on the phone. She was in my office at the time. And I, I, I told him who I was. He, he said, it's good to hear from you, Tom. And I told him what was going on. I asked if I could place him on the speakerphone on my phone. He said, of course you can. And I asked him the question directly, have they placed cat litter boxes in the schools in this small town? And he responded emphatically, no, that is not true. I thanked him for the call, hung up the phone, smiled at her and said, now what do we want to do? And she said, well, Pastor Tom, he's obviously lying to you. I wondered how it was that she had come to believe that this was true. True. I wondered how it was that somebody who I knew to be an intelligent, uh, fairly balanced person, reasonable person would come to believe that this was true. And when I pressed her on it, she came to believe that this was true because she had heard about it on social media, and if it was on social media, of course, it has to be true. Now, I I bring this story to you at the the beginning of the sermon just as an example of something that we're all facing in this country, and it's not anything new, and it's the idea that something might be true out there because we've heard it to be true, and because we've heard it to be true, it produces within us anxiety. Anxiety. In fact, a a recent survey across the American landscape revealed that one of the greatest sources of anxiety that we have as modern Americans resolves around politics. Think about the political world that we live in, the anxiety that we have about an upcoming presidential election, about state elections, even about local politics, all of which stir up within us anxiety. Now, it's helpful to remember again the difference between fear and worry and anxiety, right? Fear is a response to some sort of real external stimulus. The phone app goes off telling us that there's a weather event around us. We should be afraid of that. We should respond to that. We pull up to a a stoplight, and as the light turns green, we notice a car in the other direction that doesn't appear to notice that. Fear tells us we need to stay put for a moment and see if they're actually going to observe that traffic signal. We go down into the basement, and a spider the size of Godzilla is looking back at us, right? Fear tells us, better not go downstairs, right? Fear produces within us some sort of stimulus. Worry is is when fear prompts us or anxiety prompts us to respond in some way. We are worried because we have a test in the morning. We are worried because our boss is going to ask us to report on something tomorrow. We are worried because it's our annual doctor's appointment. We're going to have to weigh in on the scale, right? Right? So we're worried about these things and so we respond we study for the test we review the report we have broccoli today for lunch instead of french fries right we respond in some tangible way to our worry anxiety on the other hand is this general sense of dread that we have often with nothing real outside to prompt it and whereas worries focus may cause us to act, anxiety generally causes us to freeze, to not act, to entrench, to be still, to be afraid. So think about the political culture around us and what it does when we become anxious about it, how it can shape the way we look at our lives and even the way we look at faith as it did for this young woman sitting in my office so many years ago. Now, if you're reading the book or in the small group, Unafraid, you know that Pastor Adam Hamilton has a, uh, a general uh, response to anxiety. And the first step, which is the important first step, is to name the thing that we're anxious about, to identify the thing that we're anxious about, and to ask ourselves, question, is this really something I ought to be anxious about? Just the very act of naming it, right? Putting it down on paper, identifying it, helps us in some degree to take control over that anxiety to say, this is something I can deal with, respond to, or handle in my life. Political culture can create that anxiety. It didn't Jesus day, right? Jesus' disciples were anxious about the political world in which they lived and operated in. They were anxious when Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem because they understood that Jerusalem was the center for the political world of their time. They didn't want to go. They were worried about the Roman officials there, the soldiers there, the tax collectors there. They were worried about the Jewish collaborators there. And several times, Jesus had to say to his disciples, don't be anxious about this. Matthew 6 is probably the most famous of these passages, right? Matthew 6, 25, do not be anxious about your lives. Sometimes translated as worry, I don't like that translation. Merimnate, the Greek word, really means anxious, right? Worry prompts response, anxiety freezes us. What Jesus was saying to his disciples is, don't let anxiety about politics freeze you. Take control of that. And the best way we take control over our anxiety about politics and the surrounding culture is to be aware, informed, knowledgeable about what is true and what is not true, about what is real and what is false, about what is actually news and what is perhaps fake news like the story of the litter box. In the school locker rooms. How do we do this? Well, the first thing we have to do is to recognize that by and large, political operatives understand that the best way to motivate their base is to make you afraid, right? Voters who are scared are voters who will give money. Voters who are scared are voters who will vote for their party and respond in a certain way. Anxiety is an effective tool for political operatives, and it doesn't matter whether the anxiety is based in fact or not and whichever side of the coin you identify in the american political landscape both sides practice this right it doesn't matter whether or not it's true or not what matters is does it prompt you to believe in the thing that they're saying and if you believe powerfully enough does it prompt you to act to give to vote to support etc politics praise on the idea that as a people, we are okay to be uninformed. We are all right with being in the colloquial language dumb when it comes to the actual truth, right? One of my favorite quotes is uh, from Men in Black, where uh, Agent K and Agent J are deciding or talking about the merits of telling people that they're actually aliens living amongst them. And, and Agent J says to Agent K, you know, it's okay, people are smart, they can handle the truth. And Agent K responds with this wonderful line A person can, but people are dumb, dangerous, panicky animals, and you know this is true. This is the anxiety that political operatives sometimes feed off, that we will simply accept what they say to be true and believe in it, even if there's no truth to it at all. John Wesley, one of the architects of of Methodism often called himself a man of the book by this he meant that he was a man who believed in the Bible he read in the Bible, he studied the Bible he used the Bible to to interpret how he looked at the world but Wesley was really a man of books not just a book he was among the most well-read men of his generation and Wesley believed that as Methodists and as Christians we should be well-read as well he, for example, wanted his his, his ministers to, to, to read up about uh, a family life and, and to read up about finances and to be aware of the politics of their day. The social media of John Wesley's world were the newspapers, and they were just as partisan as our social media is today. And what Wesley would counsel his preachers were, don't just read one newspaper, read as many as you can get your hands on. Read different opinions. Read these opinions and sort out as you're reading them what makes sense sense. Wesley's most famous book was a medical book. Uh, he called it the primitive physic and he, he believed that families of his day should have access to the best medical care available. Unfortunately, in the 1700s, it had to do more with leeches and electrolysis than solid medicine. But what Wesley wanted was for his people to be informed. And the best way we can deal with our anxiety and all of the political news that we are bombarded with is to be informed, to be knowledgeable, to be able to say, I'm going to check this out before I put this on my Facebook page and make sure that it actually is true, is real, is honest. One of the ways that we take control over the anxiety that's produced within us is to get the facts, to be knowledgeable, to know the truth. I I grew up with most of my news coming from one source, Walter Cronkite. Some of you, maybe that was Tom Brokaw, right? Now, Now, if you ask Americans where most of us get our news these days, you know where that is, social media, right? Think about the difference between Tom Brokaw and Walter Cronkite and ex-Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is out in the world that you're getting your news from these days. Those sources are designed to bend you to the opinion of the source itself. Think about that. Does that mean that's always going to be true? Don't we have a responsibility to weigh what is true before we respond to it. And in a very real sense, what we're doing then is we're taking control over the information we digest, the information we react to, and the information we share. People may be dumb, panicky animals, but Christians should not be. We should be intelligent, aware, seekers of the truth, And to paraphrase the scriptures in another way, that truth will set us free. One of the ways we deal with anxiety is to know the truth. A second way, and I love the way Adam Hamilton frames this in the book, a second way is is that we take control of, of, of our anxiety and what makes us anxious, right? By choosing how we respond to that thing. In a very real sense, how we respond to politics and to governance will help us control our anxiety. This is, this is at the heart of what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 13. Remember that Paul is a citizen of the Roman Empire. He's a citizen of an empire at that time that declared Christianity to be illegal and in some cases actively persecuted christians paul himself would die accused of being treasonous towards the roman empire and yet what paul is telling christians is that you ought to by and large support and participate in the government even and i don't like this part very much pay your taxes right participate in the government Christians have traditionally taken one of three approaches to dealing with the governing authorities and the politics of their days. One of them is to separate ourselves completely... From the surrounding political environment, from, from the governing authorities. We, we see this a lot in, in Amish communities and Mennonite communities and some apostolic Christian communities, right? They separate themselves completely from the surrounding governance, right? They, they don't serve on juries, they don't vote. If, if drafted into the military, they serve in ways that, 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 that don't require them to carry a gun. They, by and large, separate themselves because they believe the surrounding government to be corrupt and not a part of the kingdom of God this is a really effective way by the way not to have any anxiety about the government or politics right to completely ignore it but I suspect most of us know this isn't the right approach for us as Christians the second approach is at the opposite end of the spectrum this is the the, the approach that as Christians our task is to make the government the actual kingdom of God that is, to make the, the, the government as close as possible to the kingdom Jesus promised to bring. If you're familiar with American history, this is what the pilgrims did when they landed in Massachusetts so many years ago. They sought to create the kingdom of God in Massachusetts at Plymouth Rock with the Mayflower Compact. They were going to create a Christian culture on the shores of America. And they worked hard at it. But over time, what they discovered is that sometimes governance is at odds with Christian values. It's caused them to do some wacky things like burn witches, which I hardly think is a Christian value, right? The the problem with, with, with assuming that we can make a government, a Christian government, is that sometimes governments need to do things like protect their citizens that aren't necessarily Christian in that approach. And so what Paul tells us is that we ought to take a third approach in between these two extremes. And that is the approach of saying that we will participate in, we will pay taxes towards, we'll serve on juries within, we'll support in general the governance and the governing authorities, all the while knowing that this is not the thing ultimately that we are going to put our trust in. Our trust is not in human governance but in God's governance. Many years ago, there was a a bishop on the north shore of Africa named uh, Augustine. You probably have heard of Augustine. He wrote two really important books. One of them is Confessions, which is his uh, autobiography. It is, I think, the best Christian book I've ever read. It, it really deals with the struggles that we have as to how we live out our Christian faith. The other famous book he wrote is something called The City of God. And a little bit of context is, is, is important. This was in the year 410 AD. In the year 410 AD, a bunch of German tribes invaded the city of Rome. They sacked Rome. They burned many of the buildings. They executed many of the leaders. They, 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 they convinced the Pope to let them perform pagan rites in some of the temples in Rome. It was a devastating moment in the history of the world because many, if not all, Roman citizens believed that their empire was, in fact, the city of God. They believed that the Roman Empire was God's ordained governance for human beings. And now, if Rome was no more, what were they to do with the idea that it was God's governance? was God no more. In, in a real sense, it's the, the, the same struggle that the Jewish people realized when the Babylonians invaded Israel and destroyed the temple and knocked down the city walls and executed most of the Jews and those who survived were marched off in chains into exile. This idea that this is what God had for us, and if this is no longer the case, if this government no longer stands, does that mean that God is no longer with us? And what Augustine did is to help his people sort out what it means to live And support a human government, and also realize at the same time that this is not, in fact, God's kingdom or God's household. That they are, in fact, separate things. Now, why this is important is because for those of us who are blessed to live in this great nation, and there's nowhere on earth I'd rather live than the United States of America. The temptation is to believe that this is, in fact, God's kingdom. And when we become anxious about politics, we can even become anxious about our faith. What happens if our nation doesn't stand? What happens if we become so divided as a people that we can no longer live together? What happens if our politics continue to be more and more and more divisive as they seem to be? We tie this into our faith as well so that a crisis of governments and governance can also become a crisis of faith. Which is why it's so important that we go back and read what Paul had to say or how our Lord had to live in that Roman Empire. Jesus said, pay to Caesar what's due to Caesar. Be a good citizen. Carry a soldier's pack an extra mile. Serve in the ways you're called to serve. Support those who govern over you. But remember this. This is not God's kingdom. And ultimately, our faith cannot be in human beings but in God. Ultimately, our faith cannot be in human beings, but in God. The election of 1978 is one I'll always remember. You're saying to yourself, what in the world was the election of 1978? Well I was running for the president of the youth group at our church in 1978. It was the first time I had ever campaigned for public office, and I was running against a guy named Steve. I remember that, 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 that Steve, we got a chance to give these little campaign speeches before our youth group, and I remember that Steve got up, and I, I probably don't get this all exactly right, but Steve got up and basically said, if you elect me president of the youth group, I promise you every Sunday night we'll have pizza and nachos and soda, We'll play lots of fun games, and at the end of the year, we'll go on a mission trip somewhere really cool like Mexico or Hawaii. I got up and responded that we couldn't possibly have nachos and pizza every Sunday night because that would be expensive. We try to play a lot of fun games, and if we go on a mission trip, it'll probably be someplace like Tennessee. I was convinced that my people would hear the truth, and the truth would set them free. They voted for Steve instead. And I remember my dad, who was my minister, I remember I got home that night and my dad said, how did the vote go? And I said, dad, it's devastating. They voted for Steve. How could they do this? How could they not want to listen to the truth? Why would they believe in such a lie? I remember saying to my dad, this is the end of everything at our church. This is the beginning of everything falling apart. And my dad saying to me, "Thomas, Jesus still on the throne," and I had to admit that probably Jesus was still on the throne. Then it will be OK. I know that's belittling, in a real sense, the real anxiety that we all face about the political landscape in our country at this time. I'm anxious, too. I worry, too. There are times I wonder, where is this all heading? But I am reminded in these moments that ultimately, my faith is not placed in anything human beings created or controlled. My faith is in God. And I hope yours is as well. Let us pray. God, help us as we deal with anxiety to sort what's true from what's not, to speak truth, to serve where we can, and ultimately to trust in you and you alone. All these things we pray in your blessed name and to the glory of that name. Amen.